I think it's really cool that Chris said that, you know, the warmth of you all, you know, just keeping him warm up here. I've been sick for the last week, and I'm from the south, so I'm not going to go ahead and do that. I'm just going to wear a hoodie. But uh, first off, I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you to every single person who rigged up the lights, who got all the tech stuff done here, who has spent days and days and days just putting this whole production together. While I'm putting this on, will you all please make some noise for those people? We're going inside out because branding. <laughs> All right, so first off, let me tell you all a quick, uh, quick story about Chris. So by the time he was getting attacked in my mailer, in mailers <laughs> that were supporting me, or that were attacking me in this case, um, he, I hadn't even talked to him. Hadn't even talked to him on the phone, hadn't met him, hadn't done anything other than like he had been present in a room when I was speaking and he was on a conference call where I had a bunch of tiny little ants that apparently were people that were pixelated and I couldn't see who was on it. So I just kind of did my thing. But um, he didn't talk to me until the day before my uh, 33rd birthday. And he told me one thing. He said, all I ever ask of the people who I donate uh, to is just to vote your conscience. Once you get into office, vote your conscience. That's it, nothing else. No strings attached, vote your conscience. And I can say that when we voted to expand Medicaid to 400,000 more Virginians last week, and our new governor, Ralph Northam, signed that bill into law yesterday afternoon, that, that was a conscience vote. You know why that was a conscience vote? Because I got 3,800 of those 400,000 people who live in my district, who I'm trying to help out through constituent service, who I'm there because I knocked on their doors for 10 straight months and I've lived in their community for 33 years. These are my neighbors. These are my lifelong neighbors, y'all. And in our community, we take care of each other. That's the way that this is supposed to work. And I say our community, I mean back in Prince William County in Virginia, back in Manassas Park in Virginia, and I'm saying as part of our greater LGBTQ community back home here in Milwaukee and throughout the entire United States of America, we take care of our own and we take care of people who aren't like us also because that's what we do. So here's the thing, now that we got Medicaid expansion, that was cool, but that was part of the larger budget. What else is in this budget? 3% pay raise for teachers all throughout the entire Commonwealth. 2% pay raise for state employees. Raising the age cap from 10 to now age 18 for kids who have autism, uh, who are on the state health insurance plan, for health insurance companies to have to cover their autism. And here's the thing, y'all. Autism doesn't go away when you turn 11. 
Why this is not statewide, I don't know, but I put in a bill this year to try to do something about it, and you better believe we'll be bringing something back next year, whether it's mine or someone else's bill, whatever it takes to get that sucker across the finish line, we're going to go and do it, and we will do it every year until we get this done, because we take care of everyone who needs a friend and everyone who needs some help. That's our community. And when... And when Chris is talking about that concept of what the Victory Fund calls America needs us, America needs legislators who actually have compassion, who have empathy, who understand what it's like to be uninsured. I was uninsured for two and a half years before I got sworn in, and then still the first three weeks of this year, I was still uninsured. You know why? Because I'm from Manassas. I'm broke, man. Like campaign contributions are cool, but you spend a whole year out of work, you know, so you're knocking on doors and personally, you don't have a whole lot of money. <laughs> so the thing is, you have to have people in office who give a damn about the work, who give a damn about actually helping people, who want to just do this based out of the idea of altruism who are just doing it because they want to help out their communities and they want to help out people whether they know them or they don't. I've got a constituent who doesn't have an arm below her elbow because she's an amputee. So I put in a bill to help her out. I got constituents who are denied a, a hot breakfast and a hot lunch every day because their parents carry their school lunch debts for them. So I put in a bill to try to help them out. I got commuters who are backed up all damn morning, and so I put in my Route 28 bill, which some of y'all may have heard out even over here because that became a thing this year. Everything that I've tried to do in the legislature this year has been to try to help out other people. You know why? Because when we elect LGBTQ people, we are electing people who care more about caring for their community than singling out and stigmatizing the very constituents they were elected to serve in the first place. I cannot understand in this national environment right now, and I cannot understand other elected officials who try to do this us versus them BS, where they try to set us apart from each other, and they try to make us go into our, our partisan corners, lob grenades at each other, and try to harm the other side. Where it's like, to me, the whole point of this is supposed to be, aren't we all Americans? Aren't we all Virginians in my case? Aren't you all Wisconsinites? Aren't you we all just human beings who are trying to help out each other? Isn't that supposed to be what the ethos of government is? Isn't that supposed to be what unites us? Isn't that what's supposed to be what the founding fathers actually had in their, in, your, in their original documents in the first place? Trying to help out people through that very basic concept of we the people? Yes! So then let's go freaking do it, y'all! Now look. I went to my first uh, Pride event, Capital Pride, over in Washington, D.C., um, about six years ago. And by the way, yes, I come from uh, Northern Virginia. And so, like, as someone who was accidentally caught in the VCU men's basketball Final Four riot of 2012, I am never, ever going out into the streets to another uh, sporting frenzy again. So I am as far away from D.C. as possible right now. <laughs> <laughs> which is not a bad thing, although everyone back home is like all caps and all stuff. Um, I can tell you what it was like going there and for the first time having that courage to actually look out and see 
people just dancing all over the streets to just be electric and just like to see cop cars coming up playing like beating out like trans disco beats and stuff as the cops are dancing next to the cars it's like this is a different world than my little part of the woods in Virginia <laughs> it was just cool right it's just people feeling free to be themselves for a weekend and it took a while for me to figure out that pride weekends pride festivals like this to a small degree, they're about the people who are driving on that highway, the people who are in those buildings right there, and the people who are outside these gates. To a small degree, yeah, it's about telling them that we exist. This is for us, y'all. This is for us to let each other know that we exist. This is for us to give each other that place where it's like, hey, you know what? You can be who you are and you can be that well here because we're doing the same thing and you shouldn't have to be afraid. And the whole reason pride things exist in the first place is because you have so many people who are afraid and you also have a lot of people who are vulnerable, who have put themselves out there and they said, you know what, I'm tired of being afraid. I just wanna be me. And I remember at one of those Capital Prides, I just held up a sign that said free hugs. And one of those, you know, fake preachers with their bullhorn and stuff started yelling, oh, it's one of those guys who thinks he's a woman. Little did I know I'd be running against that five years later. But um, what you end up seeing is like, you even there with a sign that just says free hugs where you're literally just trying to do something nice and you're like, hey, people will find a reason to want to make themselves empowered by keeping you down. The golden rule of comedy is you always punch up. You never punch down, right? Well, the golden rule of politics and the golden rule of just our society is you never punch down. You never try to make someone else feel worse for being themselves, right? You're trying and you're trying your absolute best just to get along in the world, just to try to be someone who does the right thing and has a good time while they're doing it. And what I've learned from that is, you know what? Some people might get their jollies just trying to keep you down. That's all this is. It's just noise. It's just static. And so if anyone has singled you out, if anyone has stigmatized you, if anyone has told you that you should be someone who you're not, you're here because you defied them. You're here because you got past them. And you're here because you are resilience personified. So give yourselves a round of applause. And look, that sort of stuff doesn't go away just because you get elected, right? So like, you've been on MSNBC five times, CNN, CBS, Comedy Central, and all the other stuff. Aren't you just famous and all the other stuff? I still get attacked for the same stupid BS all y'all do, just amplified. <laughs> same stuff. As soon as the General Assembly session got out this year back in March during the regular session, what I get attacked for? Do you think it was my transportation bills? No. My four government accountability bills? No. My shield law to protect reporters at a time when this federal administration is trying to attack reporters and possibly put even more in jail? No. 
they attacked me. Why? Because I was the chief co-patron, not even my bill, it was my friend Deborah Robbins' bill, chief co-patron of a bill to make sure that insurance companies actually have to cover transition-related health care and treat LGBTQ health care as health care. Why? Because it's our needs, not our wants, and we are following our doctor's orders. So I got attacked for supporting this, which would raise your premium and pr insurance prices stuff. No, it won't. And the other part was I was trying to mandate liberal, unnecessary lifestyle choices. Go on. Excuse me. I have three doctors who I have to work with because of my gender dysphoria, my psychologist, my endocrinologist, my voice therapist. I like to think that the three specialists with medical degrees who I work with know a little bit something more about gender dysphoria than the Republican Party of Virginia's fundraising team. Just maybe, just maybe. And you might think that in a room where you don't have trans voices and you come out with attacks against trans people, you might not know what the F you're talking about. They don't. And so I'm here today to say, one, I do know what I'm talking about, and as a reporter, I'm here to say that if you are going to attack me, you better have your stuff together. As an investigative reporter, you really better know what you're talking about. And as trans lady investigative reporter politician, oh man, don't, just don't, just don't. And so what we find is that as long as those folks are gonna be pushing their hate and pushing their bigotry, all either to raise a buck on their side or to just make you feel bad, the best thing that you can do to defy them other than just waking up and being yourself every single day is to go win elections and take them out of office. So how do we do that? How do we get elected? Well, first off, it takes those same people who are who have the courage just to be visible, just to be vulnerable in the first place, to step up and show up and say, hey coach, put me in, I'm ready to go. And it takes the belief of the people like the Chris Abelis of the world and the people, everyone else on the, this stage, maybe not everyone else will have the capacity to do what he was able to do, but everyone else, maybe you can knock on doors, maybe you can make phone calls, maybe you can show up to vote, maybe you can write postcards, maybe you can spread the word online. There is always something everyone can do to be a part of a campaign if you so choose, and there's something all of us can do to win a campaign if you so choose. And we knew things were going our way in April of last year in a little town of Haymarket that I'm now proud to represent. We had a special election for clerk of the court going on at the same time that I was running in the Democratic primary. At that point, I was being way outgunned, way outspent by two other candidates who I'm proud to call my friends now. And at the same time, they would end up sending out twice as much mail. They would end up spending tens of thousands more dollars than we did in our primary. But what we did was we hustled. And I'm here, yeah, these are my Medicaid shoes. I was supposed to stop wearing these yesterday. But here's the thing, y'all. I campaigned in these all last year. I still wear them today, because you'll notice they don't have treads left anymore. Now, part of that is one, as I said before, I am poor. The other part of that is that that is the product of hustle. 
That's the product of knocking on doors relentlessly. And when my friend Jacqueline Smith entered the clerk of the court special election last year, I said to her the first day, Jacqueline, we're going to have co-canvases for you and consider our team an extension of yours. We're here to go get you elected. You know why? Because the person who she's now replaced was the same person who upheld the constitutional amendment to, or who argued in favor of the constitutional amendment to ban marriage equality in Virginia that my predecessor authored. That's not okay. That can never be okay. And then we had someone in Jacqueline who was going out into debates talking about how a trans woman walked into the courthouse and all, she was a police officer who was armed and still felt unsafe to be there. That's not supposed to be our America or our Prince William County. What's going on? But at least Jacqueline was able to put a spotlight on that and say that's not okay. And so when we have our straight allies who are standing up for us, then we stand with them and we go get them elected too. And so one of the things that I said was, all right, our campaign is now an extension of yours. Let's go knock some doors. Let's go win this thing. We have seven weeks. Let's go get it done. So I'm out over in Haymarket knocking on the doors, and I got one door down this one little gravel road. And I've got one person on my walk list for that one. This woman comes out. She's wearing a hijab. I introduce myself, and I say, hey, uh, do you know about the election coming up this Tuesday? No, I actually don't. So I tell her about Jacqueline that she wants to make sure that, you know, you get your documents today, you get to the courthouse on time. If you work in the courthouse, you probably know that expediency is a good thing. And you probably also know that you should be welcomed into the courthouse no matter what you look like, where you come from, how you worship, or who you love. Those were two of her top stances. And so she said, all right, sounds good. I said, all right, do you think you can come out to vote on Tuesday? Yes. Do you think Jacqueline can earn your vote? Yes. Then the most important question anyone else here who's ever knocked on the door can ever ask, and this is really important, y'all, do you have any other registered voters who live in your house? She said, actually, yes, I do. Hold on a second. So she brings out two college-age women. She brings out her mother. She brings out another woman. She wasn't registered. She just wanted to talk. That's cool. I'm an Italian woman whose mom's from the Bronx, extrovert, like way. So I'll talk to you. That's cool. And so all of them come out, and I tell them about the election, and I ask them, what's important to you? And the college-age woman tell me, well, the environment's important. College tuition's important. I said, well, that's cool for my race, and I hope you all can, I can earn your vote too, but let me tell you about Jacqueline. So they got all excited about Jacqueline, especially when I told her about her non-discrimination policy. And I told them that where we were standing at that moment at Tyler Precinct, that was a battleground precinct. Hillary Clinton carried in 2016. Republicans carried it locally in every election before that. But if they showed up in that low turnout special election, if one household turned out in full force, we could win Tyler Precinct. And if we would win Tyler Precinct, we could win Prince William County. If we could win Prince William County, Jacqueline Smith would win the whole race. Well, guess what? Those four women got excited. Those four women voted, and we won Tyler by three votes. And Jacqueline Smith, after being outspent seven to one, is now our clerk of the court. Pure hustle. Pure hustle, pure hustle. So I show back up the next weekend and I got a copy of our local newspaper. And it says, Smith wins, semicolon, GOP in trouble, question mark. And I show it to the woman in the shop again. And she looks at that and, she, and she's like, oh, I remember you again. I was like, and her husband was there this time. He goes, oh, hey, well, we all voted. I said, well, if all y'all didn't vote, we would have lost this precinct by a vote instead of won it by three. So this time though, I got my primary coming up, so I need your help one more time. 
Well, this time all five of them got excited, all five of them voted, and we won Tyler by six votes. So, then the general election came around, and this time, one more time, I said, oh, all five of them got excited, all five of them voted, and we won Tyler by 153 votes, because we cleaned up shop there. And our campaign was the first Democratic candidacy to carry that precinct in that particular House of Delegates race in probably three decades, if not more. That was an incredible feat. That was just a product of so many people working so, so, so hard. I tell you that, I tell you that to make this point, that when you knock on doors, when you get involved, you, not the people who are in power, not all the people who have been trying to hold you down, you, you, you have the ability to change the outcome of an election just by your pure hustle, just because you care, just because you want that better America, or in your case, you're better Milwaukee or you're better Wisconsin, or maybe some of y'all came in from Illinois today or wherever it is that you came from, you want a better place to be. And I'm at a point where I know it's tough to go through this. Like Chris was talking about before, in politics you get attacked. That's what people do. Seventh day of the campaign last year, I got like five minutes, so I'll be wrapping up. Seventh day of the campaign last year, I got attacked by a pro-conversion therapy advocate who said that the reason I'm transgender is because my dad killed himself when I was a little kid and my grandfather was an inadequate male role model. Now, the part of me that has Sicilian blood wanted to bury that person under a pile of bricks. But you can't do that in politics. You can't do that. What we said instead was, okay, we're gonna flip the script on this. Because anytime someone goes negative on you in your life, you know how you respond? Find a way to make it positive. Make them pay for it by absolutely destroying them with kindness. So you know what we did? We kept on our message. We kept talking about fixing 28, raising teacher pay, expanding Medicaid. By the way, two, two done, one to go. And we sent out a fundraising email. We raised money off of it, and I put it out there that we raised money off of it so I could let that person know that what you just did just backfired because you accidentally just helped our campaign. Because we will take your negative, we will flip the script on it, and we will turn it into a positive every single time. Never, ever, ever let them grind you down. And that's not just, that's the life lesson that you get out of a campaign like that. That's why we knock doors in the first place. And we knock on doors and we get active, and most importantly for someone in my case, we run for office because yes, we're in it for constituent service. Yes, we are in it to take care of our communities, but we also know that there's little 11-year-old girls like Clara in Roanoke, Virginia, who before I ran for office tried to jump out of a second-story window because she didn't understand that there was no one else like her in the world. She thought that that was it. She was getting bullied in school, she decided right before the 2016 election that she was going to be the little girl who she is, that she was going to finally present as that little girl. And she, her mother told, her, told me that she got the crack kicked out of her by three other kids that day. But she kept going, and she kept being her little self. And then her mother showed an article about my campaign right after we had declared. And this girl read it three times over and over. And she looked up, and she goes, she's just like me. And her mother goes, she's just like you. And she goes, how does she do it? How does she put herself out there? How does she put herself out there? And her mother said, because she knows who she is. And she's confident in who she is. And she believes in what she's doing. 
And that little girl, she drove, her mother drove all the way up four hours to Manassas to do a photo shoot with us. And they came back out to knock on doors for us. And they were there on election night working the polls and celebrating with us. And when the results came in and we stunned the world, and I got a nice little happy phone call from Joe Biden because that's what happens on victories, right? Um, I'm sure you get it every time, right? Yeah, yeah, that's typical. Um, she happened to be the first kid that I saw when I got out of my car, and I picked her up, and I looked her dead in the eye, this 11-year-old trans girl from Roanoke, and I told her, Clara, you can be president. You can be whoever you want to be because we just won this race. And now you know what she says? And now she says, if Danica can do it, so can I. This little autistic transgender girl from Roanoke has read a speech in front of the 6th District Democratic Committee that then got adopted, uh, basically it was like a trans inclusion resolution that was then adopted by the whole state central committee. One little kid can inspire someone who's in elected office and running for office, and one little kid can be that next revolution of change. And what I'm calling on all of you here who are here today is to keep that person in mind to keep that fire in yourself in mind, to remember who inspired you in the first place, to come out, to be bold, to be who you are and to be that well, to say, I don't care what they will ever tell me, I will be as firm as that stone wall over to that side there and I will never let your oppression keep me down. I will break those barriers and then I will inspire the next person who follows me so that they can break down those same walls too and we will walk arm in arm no matter what people are up against so know that no matter what they look like, where they come from, how they worship if they do, or who they love, that they are welcome, celebrated, respected, and protected because of who they are, not despite it, and not for what discriminatory politicians tell them they're supposed to be. That idea, that idea is what we unify around. That is our common cause, that if you are experiencing racism, I will never understand what it's like to be... To understand, I will never know the black experience in the United States of America, but if I see someone being oppressed because of the color of their skin, then I will stand shoulder to shoulder with them and I will say, your fight is my fight. I am here with you. I don't know. I'm not an immigrant. I was born in the United States. I don't know what that immigrant experience is like. But when I see immigrants getting picked on, I say, hey, here's three bills I just co-patroned for you this year because I believe in your rights too. And I will keep going over and over and over again to help out the disabled, to help out anyone anytime who needs it because that is what happens when you put LGBTQ people in politics. That's what happens when we are no longer just going to be confined by our fears, but we remember in those words of George R.R. R. Martin that we can't be brave unless we're scared. And so if you've ever been scared, now it's your time to be brave. And with this administration, with your governor, with everything else that we have right now, it is more important for you to be brave than any other time. So my friends here in Wisconsin, can you be brave for me? I said, can you be brave for all the people who need, a help, who need help right now? Let me hear you guys all the way in the back on this one. When I say hey, you say hey, 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 hey. Are you fired up? Are you ready to go? Fired up? Ready to go? Happy Pride, folks. Let's go change the world. Thank you so much.